welcome to hey great shot this is the great shot podcast a cracked rackets and tennis channel podcast network production my name is alex gruskin of course none of us could have possibly anticipated the way this western and southern open could have gone play suspended on thursday in solidarity with the protests happening across the country in support of the black lives matters movement and obviously that is a decision you can completely understand professional tennis the atp the wta the usta making standing in solidarity with naomi osaka who made the decision herself to withdraw from thursday's play said she didn't want to take attention away from what was happening right now within the country, take attention, you know, she wanted to continue the conversation on police brutality, on criminal justice reform, what that can mean in this country, and of course, it's a moment unlike any other we have seen in tennis history. Now, that, of course, is on the top of all of our minds as tennis fans, and that is going to be the focus of today's mini-break podcast, so if you want to hear more about that subject, please be sure to be on the lookout for that episode. Apologize for the delay in the release of all of our content today. Obviously, again, something like this, we here at Crack Rackets want to take the proper care to be able to learn the context, learn the circumstances, the thinking behind Naomi de Osaka's decision, and then, of course, be able to properly explain to you what went into this decision-making process and obviously offer our thoughts on it as well. But we're well aware that is what is on the top of all of our minds as tennis fans. Nevertheless, some Something else that we are certainly all thinking about. The start of the U.S. Open, hypothetically only two, three days away now at this point. Play getting ready to rock and roll uh, early next week. And at the time I am recording this intro-outro, the draws on the men's and women's side have just been released as well. And of course, here at Crack Rackets, we have been doing our best all week long to ensure that you all, all of you fans, all of you listeners, uh, you know, who we continue to say are the best educated, the most well-informed in the business, have all of the information available for you. You need to be prepared for this year's U.S. Open, whether you're someone who wants to get in on all of the action with our friends at DraftKings or someone who just wants to follow along closely on your TV, be able to have fun conversations about it with your fellow tennis friends. Rest assured, that's what we're going to be doing here at Cracked Rackets over the course of this weekend. A lot more preview content still to come. We will have our big draw breakdowns, big draw release shows later on in the weekend. But of course, so far this week, we've talked dark horses for the women. We've talked most interesting players for the women. Now it's time to dive into the men's side of the U.S. Open. And of course, over these past 10 years, I'm not saying anything any of you fans don't know when I say, you know, a lot of times it gets to the Grand Slams. We talk Novak Djokovic, Rafa Nadal, Roger Federer. Where are the three of them in the draw? which of them is playing the best tennis most likely to bring home the Grand Slam titles as they so frequently do. Obviously, this year's U.S. Open a little bit different. No Federer, no Nadal in the draw, also no Stan Wawrinka, no Gael Monfils, no Fabio Fognini. Not to say, you know, those latter three were serious contenders to win the Open, but certainly names people would have been thinking about. But that's what we want to get into on today's show. Who are the names you might not be thinking about who can certainly contend for this year's U.S. Open? Again, much like the women, those players ranked outside the top 20, those players who aren't going to be seated, who, whether it's a veteran who was injured, whether it's a young player on the rise, whatever the circumstances may be, uh, players who we think are dark horse candidates heading into uh, this year's men's singles competition at the U.S. Open. And of course, there was no better person I could think of to join me uh, than a man who is perennially considered a dark horse. He played, you know, four years of five singles at the University of Virginia, of course, then immediately after graduating, he made a dream run through qualifying to make the U.S. Open a returning champion here on our Cracked Rackets podcast. J.C. Aragoni joins me to talk a little bit about the U.S. Open men's dark horses. I throw some names at him. He lets me know how feasible all of those things sound. We also, of course, talk about what it would be like to live in a quarantine, you know, live in a hotel bubble for three weeks with your fellow tennis players. JC offers some insight on the stresses of that life, you know, what he's hearing from people in the bubble. We also, of course, poke a little fun, some potential roommates we would like to have, some potential roommates maybe we would want to avoid living with during that time. It's a really fun conversation, of course, that I think will help get all of you listeners prepped for this year's U.S. Open. And then, of course, you know, news did break right as we were recording that Naomi Osaka was going to pull out of Thursday's match 
match, uh, and obviously the U.S. or the Western Southern making the decision to cancel Thursday's matches subsequently. I asked JC about what he thought on that, you know, about that decision. What he thinks that you know players seem to be wielding a little bit more power on tour, and what that could mean for the long-term future of the sport. Of course, the reason we are able to have these conversations day in day out here on the Great Shot Podcast help get all of you prepped for this year's U.S. Open is because of the support we get from our friends at DraftKings. And I've said it before, you're the most educated, best informed tennis fans in the business here at Crack Rackets. Why not take advantage of that fact by getting in on the action yourself? Here's how it works. You can go to DraftKings Sportsbook account and make a deposit. DraftKings will match your first deposit at 20% up to $500. From there, you're going to make your first bet. And DraftKings will also match that with a risk-free first bet of up to $500, a little bit of money in your pocket as well. Just go to dkng.co slash great shot to play. That's dkng.co slash great shot. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, New Jersey, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, 1-800-9-WITHIN in Indiana, or 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. You must be 21 years or older and in a participating state to take advantage of this offer. Deposit bonuses in DK dollars, which have no cash value and must be used on DraftKings. Offer not valid for users physically located in New Hampshire. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for more details. And by the way, in terms of the preview content, we have rocking and rolling. We're going to be, I mentioned the draw reveals. We'll do a men's breakdown, a women's breakdown. Of course, we've already done our women's contenders, our women's dark horses, but another thing, we'll do that for the men as well. We're also going to give our gambling preview. Cal Hammond, Max Rothman going to join me some point this weekend to let all of you know what we think the best wagers you can make on DraftKings are heading into this U.S. Open. It's going to be really fun, folks. We're covering it, again, across all of our various platforms. This podcast, the Cracked Interviews podcast, uh, the Mini Break podcast, and then, of course, on our website, CrackedRackets.com, our YouTube channel, too. So be sure to check out all of our content as we enjoy these three weeks of tennis here in New York. But with that in mind, you came to this podcast to enjoy hearing our wonderful guest, J.C. Aragoni, and I talk about the uh, the dark horses on the men's side heading into this year's U.S. Open. So without further ado, let's get to that conversation where we name our dark horses for New York. Joining us on the podcast today, a returning champion here on our Cracked Rackets podcast. You, of course, know him as a three-time NCAA champion while at the University of Virginia. He was also, I suppose, my boss when we went down to the Altic Steislinger exhibition in Miami. JC Aragoni, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? Good, thank you. I, I look forward to your introductions literally like every night. I'm like, man, I need some of that in my life. I feel like it would it would improve my tennis drastically before every match you gave me some sort of you know welcome into into the match <laughs> i had a uh, i had a poetry phase where i don't know this is probably a year and a half in and i was like what am i doing with my life with this podcast let me really just get it as you know out there as I can with it and the poetry phase went well but it just had to be retired because I started reusing a lot of the rhymes but you know I always appreciate you saying that I always appreciate getting the chance to chat with you I hopped on Crowdview live today simply because I saw JC Aragoni was live and I was like oh this could be fun just to pop on and say hello yeah I mean I I didn't really know how that all went uh I can talk forever so I got an email actually while I was doing it saying hey you can log off so basically (laughs) (laughs) I went over my time I was like whatever I was just talking talking away no, that Crowdview Live is really fun, and obviously, you know, we both got the chance to work with the Tennis One app. It's just, it's different. It was, we got to do the play-by-play for Lexington, and there was like, I don't know, it, it, like you mentioned at the beginning, there's 11 different faces on the screen, and you're like, should I be talking to everyone? Are they looking at me? Should I be looking at them? But it, it's a fun chaos. Yeah, it definitely is a is a new way of doing it. 
Yeah. Well, that segment was brought to you by the Tennis One app. So obviously everyone go check that out. But that is not the reason I have you here. Uh, The reason we wanted to get you on the show today to talk a little bit. uh, U.S. Open dark horses on the ATP side. And obviously for all of us, it's been five and a half months really since we've seen so many of these players compete on court. Some of them did play during this, you know, five months exhibitions, World Team Tennis, your event, all of these different things. Uh, I'm know that I put your event on the same level as World Team Tennis and everything else. I hold it in that high of esteem. But uh, yeah, there, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty heading into this event. Certainly no Rafa, no Nadal, no Wawrinka, no Fognini, no Nishikori, no Del Potro. Yes, you have Djokovic, but you have him and a lot of relatively unproven young players. And so even, you know, the definition of a dark horse on the ATP side is sketchy. Now, again, I want to get to that, but yeah, it'd be anybody outside of the top three, right? Yeah. So that's, yeah, I was gonna say, I wanted to get to specifics, but let's even start there. Given the past 10 years, it really is anyone not named Djokovic Nadal Federer at this point, right? Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know if, I if mean, the Del deal Potro med- and Wawrinka, you can kind of, I don't even know if they consider, I don't know. Yeah, it's tough because if I told you Medvedev ripped off just this ridiculous two-week stretch and won the event, like, I feel like he wouldn't shock me. Maybe him, Tsitsipas, I mean, after Dominic Team's first match, maybe it'll surprise you, but he's certainly capable of a deep run. But I would say there are five guys for me. Djokovic, you know, uh, Djokovic, Medvedev, Team, Tsitsipas. I throw Alex Virov in there just because I like to, you know— make myself angry uh but those would be my five players everyone else is a relative dark horse i mean you know who i actually would throw in that group of five or six that i'm sure you're probably gonna think i'm crazy but i never count him out especially at a slam is i actually think chillage really look at that guy like even last year what did he lose in the quarters to nadal yeah i mean that's a guy that that has made what how many slam finals three yeah one he won the open final the wimby I mean, he he's a guy that somehow always hangs around, makes deep runs. It kind of reminds me of like a Burditch who used to always somehow appear in the semis of Wimby or the semis of, you know, like, it's almost like yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he made a deep run. Yeah, well, I'm really happy you said that because it gets to some of the stats I have ready for today. Uh, you talk about Marin Cilic, his last, you know, you, you, that notable 2018 Australian Open final. Uh, I will always remember the 2017 Wimbledon final because it was our very first Cracked Rackets podcast and Marin Cilic cried in that final. Not that, that you know, I'll just always remember that moment because it's like, oh, first podcast. Um, but yeah, his last five hardcourt major results, finals at the 2018 Australian Open, quarterfinals at the U.S. Open, both fourth rounds at those hardcourt events last year, fourth round at the 2020 Australian Open. That's about as sure of a thing as you get. And I have, again, I have too much time on my hand. I don't have a Catherine in my life, but I went back and looked at the seven major hardcourt events on the ATP Tour, the two slams on hardcourts, and then Miami, Indian Wells, Rogers Cup, Cincinnati, Shanghai, and was trying to look for trends. Who are the people who have made, you know, quarterfinals or better at all these events over the past? five years you know there are nine players who have made uh, quarterfinals at six out of the seven of those events or more Federer Nadal Djokovic Murray all obvious Dominic Team, the only person who's done it at all seven the people who have done it at all six Wawrinka Nishikori Burdich and Chilich. so I don't hate that Chilich pick at all JC I think that's a pretty good one off the bat Hey, I mean, I, I mentioned Burdich, too. He re- I think he retired, right? <laughs> yeah, but unfortunately look, look not two, playing. Look at, the, look at the two guys I just threw on you. Uh, <laughs> no, I think I think Chilich, like, again, whenever I see him play, I'm like, man, this guy looks like he's going to miss every ball because he hits it so hard. But mm-hmm. he, he always makes deep runs. I don't, I don't know. I even, I mean, Nadal was playing a joke last year, but I wouldn't have counted him out. I mean, the guy the guy can play. Yeah, and again, I'm, I'm going to throw some stats at you at the beginning, and then I'm going to get to even more specific names. I do think Chilich is a good one off the bat, but you talk about a dark horse. Traditionally, I would categorize that at someone outside the top 20 uh, of seeds or an unseeded player, and I looked at the two slams again. How many unseeded players have made runs to the quarterfinals, finals, or later, later over these past five years? At the U.S. Open, uh, it's been relatively stable. You know, there were none in 2015, two in 2016, four in 2017, one in 18. 
three last year. And of course, Berrettini, Dimitrov, both outside the top 20 seeds, both ended up making the semifinals. So we've seen it happen of late. At the Australian Open these past three events, there have been three, three, and two unseeded players. So there's always one or two, it seems like, that are going to make a run, particularly now. Uh, it feels like, you know, that uh, given all of the uncertainty, it's going to be the people who are match tough. It's going to be the people who are confident in their level of play that make a run. I'm going to throw one name at you off the bat, a guy who had a really good run at the Western Southern Open, knocked off Dimenauer, knocked off Shapovalov, knocked off Gofen, lost today to Novak Djokovic, but is in right in that sweet spot in terms of his ranking. I'm talking about Jan Leonard Struff, who with his result today moves up to number 29. He's probably going to be like the 23-24 seed in New York. That's a guy I could see, given how unconfident everyone is, because he can just do things so easily. The big serve, the big ground strokes. Uh, he's clearly fit, and I, I made this joke before, but he needs to go down a shirt size because he looks tubby out there, and then he's moving like crazy. So, you know, that's just a bad tailoring job. But I think that's a guy who could definitely make a second week, maybe even do better if the draw is kind to him. Yeah, I mean, there's—I think it all depends, too, on uh, on the weather. I think if it's— like I remember the year that that Johnny Millman made quarters, right? He made quarters, I think. Um, he beat Federer. Mm-hmm. It was so hot that it was like, you know, he would just seem like one of the fitter guys out there. And I feel like now, especially with guys having competed that long in that in a long time, if it gets really hot, you could easily see, you know, some guys that like a Sangren who loves running all over the court you know, make deep runs, not just because he's fit, but he's also playing great. Um, but I could definitely see somebody like Stroop. I mean, I, I was, I mentioned this in the tennis one app today. I think I'm not surprised when I see the guys that make deep runs in, in uh, Cincinnati, because I think most of the guys that did besides, you know, the, the top, top guys, even like Medvedev, they all have pretty big serves. And I think when guys are rusty, the players who have big serves can kind of, save themselves a little bit because i feel like the serve is one of those shots that you have control on it it doesn't go with like it's not as 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 the other ground strokes which you know if you have a little bit of a you know just general rust is gonna be a huge hole in my opinion yeah no I, i completely agree with you it's why you know we saw riley this week right have so much success because he's just hitting bombs and you can't get a rhythm against him and uh you know credit we joked about this on tennis one credit to stefano Tsitsipas, who's gone through the gauntlet of uh you know isner of uh uh, Kevin Anderson and then Riley Opelka today and just no rhythm in that tennis for Stefano Tsitsipas and yet you know for Opelka really good of him got a good win over Berrettini I agree with you that's another category of player right now Milos Raonic is ranked number 25 Raonic may not have made it to six or seven of those events quarterfinals but he is in the five-timer club right it's I can't him, it's I don't Dimitra. consider him a dark horse at all and that is just sheer on the fact that he looks like he's gained 30 pounds he could be playing <laughs> unbelievable. I, I honestly could not believe he beat Query, and then he beat Murray. Like, I, I, I look at him, and I'm like, has this guy been working out? And then he goes, and he's playing great. <laughs> so I can't consider him a dark horse just for the sheer fact that, in my opinion, he looks a little chubby. But if yeah, it works, no, first it works. Of all, I- yeah, no, I, I completely, I think that's fair, and he knows what he wants to do on the court. Okay, look, to his respect, you don't have to be able to go run a marathon to hit the serve and volley tennis, hit that big forehand return, play quick points the way he does. I agree with you. He's not a dark horse as, at all. He's a guy who, you know, has been one of probably the 10 best players on hard courts over the past five years by any metric you want to use. Now, the U.S. Open's the one major, or, you know, the major hard court event he hasn't made the quarterfinals of. I I believe he's made the fourth round a couple of times, but there's absolutely no reason why he couldn't. And, you know, you look at the names of the players who were the people outside the top 20 who ended up making the quarterfinals or later. A lot of names aren't going to surprise you. Uh, Del Potro did it two times. It's, you know, he's only ranked outside of the top 20 because of injuries, not because of what he's capable of on the court. Stan Wawrinka last year was outside the top 20 when he made a run. Kevin Anderson, same deal. You have that category of player, Dimitrov, same deal. Uh, but you 
also have the young players, right? A Rublev, a Berrettini, a Puy. Um, you know, those are the sort of guys that, you know, it's two categories. It's an injured veteran or if it's a young player. I guess, you know, if let's start with the veteran category. You mentioned Chilich, Ray Orange. I guess we kind of knocked that out. So let's go to the young players. I'm going to list some names for you. You tell me the guy you think is most dangerous at this year's U.S. Open. Taylor Fritz, Alex Diemenauer, Hubie Hercats, or Riley Opelka? Wait, you said Taylor Fritz, Alex Diemenauer, Hubie Hercat, and who's the last one? Or Riley. Uh, I got to go with Riley. All right, make the case. Uh, I mean, I think those courts suit him pretty well. I think they're pretty lively courts. Um, I think he's playing great. I don't know. I think he's he's done a good job this offseason to work on the things he, he needs to. He's He just seems like he's he's hungry. He's locked and loaded. Uh, I felt like Taylor's unbelievable. I mean, what is he, 24 in the world, career high? Yeah. I, I mm-hmm. feel like he has almost too much to prove. Like, he thinks he needs to do unbelievably well, and he needs, like, a, some of the comments I've seen that he's made just seem like he... It's playing great, but he almost feels like if, if he doesn't do good, then it's going to be horrible, you know? So I feel like he might be playing almost with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder or something. Because um, obviously, I think tennis-wise, he would probably be my second pick. Um, just also, because you gotta you got to favor the Americans a little bit, even though it might be interesting without the crowd. Um you know, not pl- playing in the in the in New York without the crowd might actually hurt the Americans a lot, which I think they they tend to play well there. So I don't know those. I think Riley would be would be my you know top guy, especially after watching him this week. Um, and I actually, obviously, I don't like that I saw him retire, but that kind of gives me like the fact that he retired up six five gives me the sense that he's really focused on next week. It gives me the sense that even if he felt something rather than being like, I'm going to push it because I'm in a good position. You never know. You win the tiebreaker. He can kind of struggle his way through to another breaker. I think that it shows that he's, he's locked in for next week and he, and he kind of wants to, wants to, you know, really do some damage there. Mm-hmm. No, I think you made the case perfectly. Um, yeah, I, he's so focused on making that deep run into the U.S. Open. You could tell just when we talked to him at your event, that is what he was focused on. He had won an ATP event in Delray before the you know the pause in this year's schedule. He was ready to make his breakthrough into the top 30, be seated at this event, and he still might end up seated at this year's U.S. Open, but I agree. If the courts are playing fast, that certainly favors Riley Opelka. I actually think Taylor Fritz probably prefers a slower hard court just because gives him more time to move around, gives him more time to hit that big kick, set up the big shots. He can probably hit through any court. I feel like he wants it to be high bouncing in his strike zone, but I also agree with you. It was a stinker against Bedene this week, but he's another guy who's dangerous. I'm a big fan of Hubie Hercots. Uh, you know, I, obviously he came down to your event. I know he's a Miami guy as as well, or a Florida guy. He might be Saddlebrook. Um, but yeah, I, I think all of these young players. Yeah, I mean, you gave me a list of four guys that you could say all of You can yeah. make cases for all of them. But, um, and again, nothing to take to take anything yeah. away from Taylor. I just, that, that was just kind of my opinion on what I've seen or heard just from things mm-hmm. he said. And it just seems like he, he, he really feels like he has something to prove, which sometimes yeah. can hurt players. Yeah, I, I agree. I think they would all be on the short list. I probably agree with that order as well. We were joking about this before the podcast. Order of roommates you would want. Fritz, Opelka, Demonauer, Hercots. What are you choosing? I would put Riley at the bottom. That guy would just... He would. He is such a troll. He would troll me so hard about everything. <laughs> like, I love I love Riley, but I feel like he would make me... It'd be like Hell Week. Like, <laughs> the guy loves a good troll. I don't know, and I feel like I'm I'm like easy picking. Like I, I don't know, and I'm a sensitive guy too, so I would take it personally. <laughs> so he he would be, he would be a no for me. Like I'll, I'll do yeah. it just because like you know I'd love to room with him just because he's a buddy. But if I had a choice, oh, I feel like he would have a field day with me. Uh, Hubie actually would be interesting. I think he's a really funny guy. I think yeah. he. He's, uh, I don't know, he makes jokes. He, he's like that guy that seems serious, but then he'll like throw out these crazy, he just says crazy things, and it's like, wow, that's kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't mind rooming with Fritz. I'm kind of one of those weird guys that 
wa- like I don't have a problem watching people play video games. <laughs> I suck at video games personally, so like I'm okay like like sitting down and watching like in awe almost because I've never been able to like I can play, but like some of these guys are on a different level, so I just want to like learn, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I once played Fritz in FIFA, and I went up 1-0, and it was a mistake. Or, or no, 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 maybe he was up 2-0, and I scored for 2-1, and he was, like, personally offended. And so I think he beat me, like, 8-1 after that. And I was like, dude, come on. I was like, yeah, I haven't that's played not what we FIFA. I haven't played FIFA in eight years. I retired after Luca Corntelli beat me. I had Real Madrid, and he had the worst team in the game, Shishka Mushkovar from Russia. <laughs> and I think I lost, like, 4-0, and I was like, that's it. That was the last time. That was the last time I played FIFA in, I think, years. Yeah, no, that's fair. I think we can both agree, though, the guy on this list you choose to room with is Demon Hour. I just feel like that's a win. Yeah, he'd be cool. I don't know yeah. him personally that, that well, but he seems yeah. like a really, really – um, all the Australian guys, honestly, are, I think, really, really nice, always been, you know, kind of cool guys. They a lot of energy. I think it would be right up my alley. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. Well, you know, with that in mind, just a quick tangent here – I'm sure you've been asked this question, but I'm going to ask it as well. Put yourself in that bubble. Three weeks, or ideally three weeks, maybe only just a long eight, nine, ten days for the majority of these players. You're trapped in your hotel. You can't really do anything. But you are surrounded by a lot of your fellow tennis players, and I know the USTA is trying their best to accommodate all of these players. What do you think life and you know, what have you heard about life in the bubble? How do you think living in that bubble would impact your performance and just how would you enjoy those two, you know, plus weeks? Dude, I honestly can't even imagine what it's like because I don't think they're at the nicest hotel in New York for starters. Uh, I personally hate getting food like takeout. I hate it. I hate cold food. So, like, I would be having an absolute nightmare. I like going to restaurants and eating, like, like the hot food. I don't know. I'm weird about that. Uh, so, I, I personally I personally would struggle. Um, I'm terrible at ping pong, as you've seen. So, I see there's a lot of ping pong. So, I would struggle again. Um, there's just not much going for me, at least. So, I'm kind of thankful I'm not there. Um I think most of the players, I don't know. I'm sure it's also nice to see people. A lot of players have been, you know, away from the game for so long. It's probably nice to be around, I guess, familiar faces. I don't think it's terrible, but it just like the other day I saw a tweet of somebody saying how they, you know, they got kicked out of the bar for watching, like, because it was past curfew, so they couldn't watch the finish the Mavs game or something. And it's like that, that would bother me. Like you're already inside a bubble. But I think they're they're coping okay. I mean, I talked to my coach who's there with Kyle, and I was like, man, what are you guys doing? Like, he obviously had a tough draw, and now you got to be stuck there. And he was like, yeah, it sucks. Like, what, what, there's nothing to do. Like, you just kind of – it is what it is. Yeah. No, I, I think you nailed it. I think – you know, obviously, back in the day, it was book clubs. I feel like you would have a really strong Netflix club going. I feel like you would have a group of 10 to 15 people who are just locked in on watching, like, Shit's Creek or some sort of show on Netflix and just, you know, binging some sort of new series. Um, I feel like you could organize that. I, I, I love, uh, I don't know, clearly I, I'm okay at organizing things, so never want to organize a, a Netflix uh I don't know, rewatch maybe Prison Break or something. That, <laughs> or Entourage. Oh, I had this argument with Brandon Nakashima. If you ever see Brandon Nakashima, you got to give him so much. The guy has never seen Entourage. He's never seen Californication. Never seen The OC. Never seen Gossip Girl. He's never seen Dexter. No Prison Break. The guy lives under a rock. I, I, accidentally, I actually sent him my Hulu account. I'm like, dude, do yourself a favor. Like this is like knowledge. Imagine how much better a tennis player he'd he'd be if you watched Entourage. Uh, Oh, if he could chase. (laughs) No, I feel like he'd channel. He needs a little inner Ari. He needs to get nuts. He needs to get a little crazy, a little angry. I had a I had a dinner with him where I I left. I was actually pissed because I was mad at the amount of shows he'd never seen. I couldn't (laughs) believe it. I named like top ten best shows, and he never seen one. In fairness, I'm pretty sure he was born in 2002 or three, or like 2001. Dude, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I'm just yeah. I mean, just think of it like this: you watched Drake and Josh, he watched iCarly. 
No, I think he's watching. No, I, I no. That's he didn't like, watch I, either. I, you can't. You can't. It's like saying not watching some of these shows is like saying, "Hey, have you ever watched SpongeBob?" Like everyone has at least seen <laughs> or no. He didn't know what they were. He's like, "What? What is this show?" I'm like, mm-hmm. dude. Could he identify Game of Thrones by title? <laughs> All right. Next time we have him here, that's good. We'll run him through the uh, the TV trivia. We'll see how the he does. The thing is, what pisses me more off is I pay for a Hulu account. I give him the account, and the guy doesn't like even do it. <laughs> like, I'm gonna yeah. have to call his mom or something. He's like, hey, I'm always looking out for your kid. I take him to these. I you know take him under my wing. I bring him to these like the, the vent I have. I take care of him. Give him Hulu. Guy doesn't use it. It's just disrespectful. It is. Uh, yeah. No, that's so funny. Um. All right. Well, from there, I, I was going to say speaking of disrespectful, but to be honest, it's not disrespectful. It, it might actually be disrespectful that we're 20 minutes into a, uh, an ATP Dark Horse podcast and we haven't mentioned the screaming name to make the second week regardless of where he is in the draw because the only person right now who is probably more physically fit than Tennis Angren and maybe even not is Novak Djokovic. Outside of him, you're not going to find a player who is in, you know more match tough, more physically fit right now than Tennis. Obviously, Tennis has made two quarterfinals at the slam level. He did it in 2018 and again this year at the Australian Open. So he's shown three out of five courts on a hard set. That's as tough of an out as any player on two or certainly over these past 24 months. Would it surprise you at all to see him make another quarterfinal here these next two weeks in New York? Uh, I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I thought he was playing unbelievable. And then I watched him play against Novak, and I'm like, is Novak just that much better than everybody? (laughs) It it confused me, that whole match. But, yeah, I think he's playing great. I think he, he found a way to get away with that Felix match. I think that... Uh, could have gone, uh, could have gone the other way. But again, he always seems to do that. He, he just kind of hangs in there. He's the kind of guy that actually likes to run, which is weird. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all. He's got a huge serve, good backhand, good. For, I mean, overall, very solid. He's really working on his returns, coming in more, playing more aggressive. I think he for sure could, uh, could make, um, you know, make a second week. Similar to how the guy he just beat, Felix, could make a second week. I think those guys are both, I was watching fitness-wise, I think they're both, you know, at the very top. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think what impressed me so much for tennis was he was down a break for the majority of that third set, and yet it still felt like he was in control. It still felt like he was the one, and the stats reflected it, with more break point chances, who was making the match as physical as possible. Now he played a court 11 match from court 13. You know, he was that far behind the baseline, but... I just think physically three out of five set, is there anyone, you know, on a list of people you don't want to play under any circumstances, Djokovic is number one, but Sandgren right now probably in the top five, three out of five in that New York heat. That's just a, that's a tall task for anyone, you know, not named a Djokovic or someone with maybe a weapon like Rayonic where they're on or off the court in two hours, no matter what. Yeah. I mean, those guys, he, he for sure makes a physical. I still think John, John Millman is an absolute animal when it comes to fitness <laughs> that dude can run forever i mean watching him that open where he like it looked like he took Federer's legs out and then Djokovic, i don't know if you remember was absolutely dying on the sidelines it, it, the only reason he lost that match i think is because he was so sweaty he had to go change his clothes and i gave Djokovic a breather but until then he was working him <laughs> um but yeah i think stangren for sure is one of the fitter guys out there I mean, just off the top of my head, I I, I don't necessarily maybe, I mean, maybe Sakari, <laughs> she might give him a run for some fitness. She looking she's looking tough right now. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's fair to say. And you know, you t- we talked about this uh, off pod before, but you played three matches in three days at your event, and you said you couldn't you like move for a week that you were that sore and. For a lot of these players playing uh, on the men's side this week in New York for this Western Southern Open, I feel like it's going to be the same deal. I feel like, especially for someone like a Riley or a tennis who you just play these physical matches, well, maybe not tennis, but for the majority of these players, how do you think their bodies are going to respond? How do you think playing, you know, making round of 16 quarterfinals in Western Southern, yeah, they'll have time to recover, but are the bodies hurting for a lot of these players this week? 
again, this is where I think the big servers will will strive yeah. because I think uh, if you can finish points off um, sooner, I think uh, it's going to help help keep the body fresh. I think you have one of those five set matches where it's an absolute battle, and you could be in some trouble. I mean, besides like maybe even like today, I was watching Medvedev. He might be the you know the only guy that actually he's so skinny it seems like he can run forever and he's not you know there's just not enough muscle on his body to even get injured but i think most guys um besides obviously the Djokovic and maybe a couple others like the tm who are so fit i think it's gonna it's gonna be tough if they if you get into like that first round you get a, you get through a tough five set match it, it's tough to recover mm-hmm no, I, I agree, and that's why, you know, uh, someone like an Isner or just any of these players who have their set routines who aren't going to be too physically worn down, not that Isner's not a physical style of play, but I think you're you're absolutely right. I think that's going to You saw it this week, right? Yeah. You saw it with uh, Anderson after his match against Edmund looked really tired, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. Murray after his match uh, or his match during Ronich just looked a little bit fatigued. Like, there's definitely guys, even after a match or two, that seemed exhausted. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. I, I completely agree with you there. Let me throw a different name at you. This is someone who I don't know if you've played him uh, in any of your challenger encounters, but certainly he's a guy who's been really good at that level over these past 16, you know, 18 months. Uh, and I'm going to butcher his name, but Emil Rusevori, the young Finnish player who I think he's up to the top 100 now uh, in the live rankings. And in fact, you look for him now. He is currently sitting, uh, I believe, at a new career high of number. 92 after he qualified and beat uh, Sebastian Corda this week at the Western Southern. What do you think about his game? I'm not saying he's a guy who's going to, you know, make a quarterfinal, but a guy who could win one, two, maybe even three matches. I mean, if you're going to go like those guys, not saying he's a bad player, he's amazing. I've seen him play a lot more indoor. He seems to be really good at indoor tennis. Mm -hmm. If we're going to go like that route, I would go like a sinner. Like I feel like like one of those, like uh, I, I just feel like he's really good, but again, hasn't really maybe played those top guys yet. Maybe there's a little bit less confidence. Um, not sure how he'll do in the five step matches. That's why I, I would take somebody more like Sinner, who I feel like has the confidence and believes he probably can beat any of those top guys. And again, he's kind of scary to to play again. Yeah. Um, but. I, I don't know. For me, like a young guy like that, I, I would go with Sinner for sure. Yeah, I mean, Rusevori uh, had Berrettini on the ropes uh, in their match in what the Western and Southern. Probably should have won that match. Wasn't able to get over the hump. And yeah, that's an experience thing. Completely agree with you there. I think Sinner's a great pick. I think had play not stopped in March, we probably would be talking a lot more about Yannick Sinner because... The only thing that halted his momentum was the fact that there were just no tournaments for him to play. That's another really good name. Uh, what do you think about? I'm going to throw one more at you. Do you ever play Sun Wu Kwan, the uh, 22-year-old Korean? I think 73 in the world right now. I just think he's a really good hardcore player. Yeah, I lost some last year in the U.S. Open Qualies four in the third, so I I, I know Kwan. Yeah, what did you think of his game? Well. Uh, again, super disciplined. Honestly, like. Reminds me of like Kyung Chung, maybe not as good of a server, but laser backhand, good forehand, moves well. Again, just the serve is just, I thought was the only really big weakness, but um, definitely another guy, just one of those guys that pain to play because they're so disciplined and they, they know, kind of, they know themselves so well. They know exactly what they want to do. And if you get stuck in their games, you're kind of screwed because they're so good at it. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree with you. I think you're completely right there. Um, all right, let me throw one more name at you, a name you know well. I know you were training with him in Miami prior to him going to New York. He lost his first-round match in three sets against Kevin Anderson, but you know served for that first set up 5-4, uh, won that second set fairly comfortably. I thought he looked really good, uh, just wasn't able to break the Anderson serve in the end. Kyle Edmund, a guy we've seen make a semifinal of a major, maybe just having that sort of know-how, how to navigate a two-week stretch that could be so valuable right now. What do you think about his prospects? Is he a guy you could see second week, maybe even further? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say anything bad about him because I <laughs> train with him, uh, but 
I don't, I don't know. I never know what to expect with him. Like, I did the off season a little bit with him here, and I thought he was looking great. And I remember he went to Australia and just kind of laid an egg. I think he lost first round, didn't play great. And I was like, man, he's really starting the year off bad. And then he goes and he wins New York. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think with him, you almost got to take like that first round exit with a little bit of salt and be like, you know, he. I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he then he goes and makes quarters. Um, he's a again guy that does things very well, very disciplined guy, huge game. I mean, the guy hits the ball so big. I think he's such a big guy. His presence is pretty well known on the court so I, I wouldn't be surprised honestly like I saw he lost first round and I was like I mean that is a tough match um but I wouldn't be shocked if he turned it around pretty quickly mm-hmm. here's my short list of hardest mo- you know uh, forehands on the tour probably Delpo then maybe uh, you want to throw team in there fine you want to throw Rublev and FAA in there fine but then Edmund has to be on that part of the list I can only imagine what it's like to practice when cut you don't, uh, when he's you don't think Wawrinka is on that list Wawrinka can sl- I, I think Kyle hits the ball bigger I don't necessarily think Kyle's think forehand's better but it is huge no Kyle's forehand is is very big what I just like hitting with him what I don't understand is He's such a long guy. Yeah. Like, he's, like, kind of lanky. So, like, his forehand, like, and he almost takes the ball early. Yeah. Like, I, 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 he puts a lot of pressure on you when he's hitting. And his backhand, to be honest, for as good as his forehand is, is not bad. It's not like you say, like, oh, his backhand's a huge hole. Like, he still makes almost all of them. Like, sure, he doesn't have a laser beam, but... um. I mean, he can pretty much do whatever he wants with that forehand. Yeah, I'm I'm so glad you mentioned that. He does take the ball early, and that's half of the weapon is his timing is just so good on that side. Now, sometimes it'll spray on him, but when he connects with it purely, it's just like, okay, the point he has control of the point. Like, it's, uh, this point's going to be played on his term. And I'm glad you mentioned his length as well. I think he's someone who early in his career was not the most natural mover, but I think he's gotten a lot better at it at this stage of his career. And I think, again, play stop right Right as he had won a title, started to build some momentum. I agree. Throw that first loss out the window. If the draw breaks right, he could absolutely make a second week of the U.S. Open. It's just tough because he's not going to be seated, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So, no, he won't be. Yeah. So, I mean, if he gets like a Sitsi pass first round or something, like it just gets tough. Like, you don't, that's the only. But again, if it is the right draw, I think he could do a lot of damage. So I know this is very matchup dependent, but like, let's say the seed he draws is a Schwartzman. I kind of like that matchup for him. He's going to have time to use his forehand dictate a little bit. I don't know. Like, that's one I kind of like the way Kyle was playing. Yeah, I mean, if he plays a Schwartzman, that's great too, because Kyle has an absolute cannon. Mm-hmm. Um, and is I like what I worry the most about Kyle sometimes is he is such a big guy. Like it's tough to like see him returning like on second serves. He like his presence is so it's again, it's, he's one of those guys that like he stands up close and he just seems bigger than maybe he might be. So again, he plays a smaller guy like Schwartzman. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't mind that draw. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Well, then, uh, my last category of player I want to throw at. Well, I guess my last two categories. I want to do the Americans though quickly, and all of the ones who got wild cards into this event on the men's side. Obviously, a lot of names you're familiar with: Ulysses Blanche, Max Cressy, Sebastian Corda, Michael Moe, J.J. Wolf, Brandon Nakashima, and then a guy you might have met by the name of Tyson Kwiatkowski. Of that list of names, J.C., who's the one American tennis fans should be looking out for. Let's throw I'm, Ty out I'm the like window. 50, throw Ty out the window. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm fifty fifty with Brandon and uh JJ. Okay. I feel like both have I don't know. I just don't know how JJ is fitness wise, like if he would be able to last a five set match, but I mean he's hitting the ball great. Um I mean Brandon I'm not gonna lie. I thought he got a tough draw at, at, at Cincy. I actually think Fuksovich is, is really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think that guy is, is dangerous always. So I didn't really take that into account. Like I saw him lost, lost and he was, I was like, okay, that's fine. But I could see him, you know, I don't know if he's going to, you know, make quarters, 
but I can see him definitely winning a round or two or giving somebody good a run for their money. Mm-hmm. And then JJ, he just has such a big game. Who knows? Mm-hmm. No, I I think on these courts it's worth just throwing a flyer out there on Blanche and Cressy just because and honestly Ty just how hard they hit the serve and you know for Cressy the serve and volley for Blanche I could argue I don't know if there's you know on that list behind Kyle Edmund hypothetically I know he misses a little bit more but Ulysses Blanche has a freaking cannon yeah um, but again I, I'm just going based on yeah. on on results lately. No, I mean, Brandon's played a ton. Yeah. And you could see that he's a guy that's, that, that is kind of, at least from the last month, two months, he's earned that wild card, even based on the results, just from playing like EXO tournaments. Mm-hmm. Like he's done great. World team tennis. He was great. Um, I mean, JJ did a good job of qualifying. Cincy. I have no idea how the other guys are playing, to be honest with you. I mean, Cressy messaged me saying he was coming down to Miami to train, which I thought was kind of out of the blue. But I, I don't haven't seen those guys hit a ball so so I'm not I'm not sure but yeah they are dangerous because they got cannons mm-hmm. uh, but it also depends how the courts are put like I have no idea unless you're there every year is a little different mm-hmm. no for sure and I, I I would argue this is a really stupid thing and again another tangent the most surprising result in your guys' 2017 run to the title was that Ty beat JJ so easily in that Ohio State semifinal in singles. That he won that match in straight sets after you guys dropped the doubles point. That was the momentum swing. Obviously, then you do your little ball dance with Herco Pollen, and that was great. Yeah. But, uh, but the tie win was Ty a big is, one. Yeah, but Ty's weird because he there's certain guys he will, like, chop. Like, I remember, uh, besides the fact that he... Uh, he lost to Eubanks in that challenger in Arizona, I think, <laughs> last year, where uh, I think he had set points, actually. No, or did he beat Eubanks? Mm, I don't remember. <laughs> no, I think he beat Eubanks. But, like, Eubanks is a guy that he would always chop. Like, always. Um, oh, no, he did beat him there. He lost him in Australia yeah. Wallies. That's what it yeah, but I think that's because he was talking beforehand saying he never loses to him, so he probably jinxed it. <laughs> but there's certain guys that tie, like, like whenever we would play Georgia Tech, he would beat Eubanks pretty easily. Or I don't know if it's the fact that Ty would just chip all the returns and make the guy play and then just kind of chip his way through it. But there's certain guys that Ty, like, I would if Ty plays JJ, I wouldn't be surprised if he beat him. Yeah, he just has that number. Yeah, that is Ty. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I could... I don't know if it's because he knows walking on the court. He's gonna, you know, he maybe for him that helps loosen him up. But there's certain guys that well, our whole team was like, "How does Ty beat these guys so easily?" <laughs> and then sometimes he struggles to other guys. We didn't know. Yeah, no, that, that Ohio State semi again. It's the most dramatic one point finish a match has ever seen, right? Henrik over Seedlick, uh, the greatest. Yeah, that was annoying. <laughs> I don't don't let's not go into that. The greatest six hour layoff uh, in tennis history. Yeah, for a one point. <laughs> Yeah, we could save that for a different podcast. No, I think all the names we've covered. You had me at Cincy saying, OH, there's no way. Yeah. <laughs> I was also thinking that. I was like, you know, as a Michigan guy, I like, think I wouldn't do it over my dead body. Uh, like, absolutely not. It would be fun if one of the players. Yeah, no chance. Yeah. I'm with I'm with Prince over there. <laughs> Yeah, Team Fritz on this one. That's funny. Um, All right. Are there any other names out there floating? You know, maybe you're a big, you know, you just think Sasha Bublik can serve and volley his way with all these ugly drop shots into a fourth rounder. Maybe you're a fan of a guy like, uh, I don't know, you, you mentioned a John Millman or an Ugo Umber who won a title this year. Maybe Dan Evans. He's obviously played really well. Is there anyone else Dan Evans outside is, the top 20? I think 20? Dan Evans is always a dangerous guy. Mm-hmm. I think Dan Evans could do some damage. I, I honestly wouldn't take Sam Querrey out of the equation. You've seen him at big events. Mm-hmm. He, he's he's made deep runs. Um, I don't know. What are you doing the, the this Austral- last Australian Open? Was he round 16 or quarters? Round 16, right? That sounds about right. Um, and then I think Wimby one year, he made semis. He beat Djokovic. The guy, the guy will make quarters. I think he's made quarters of a couple slams. Yeah, Australia this year uh, beat Chorich, beat Barankas, lost to Sandgren. Yeah, he did lose Sandgren in round 16, uh, right? Third round, yeah. Third yeah. round, okay. Um, yeah, so he, uh, I think that's a guy that could potentially, you know, given the right draw, he starts serving big. Mm-hmm. You, you never know. Mm-hmm. 
mean, you never know, Sam. Plus, he's the nicest guy, so I got to throw him in there. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's a fair take. And, all right, I'm going to throw this category at you one more time because we sort of talked about it. I think if if Dominic team won, that wouldn't qualify as a dark horse. If Medvedev or Tsitsipas won, probably wouldn't it count it as a dark horse. But I'm going to give you, you know, the players ranked, uh, you know, 8 through 20-ish. And I know that's a lot of players, but you, you go through that list. Uh, Berrettini, a Gofen, an RBA, Schwartzman, Rublev, Hachinov, Shapovalov, Dimitrov. Of those names, which of them – could any of them, in your opinion, win this thing, and which one would it be? Dude, you read those out so fast. <laughs> Berrettini, uh, Gofen. Here, I'll tell you yeah. who, I don't, who I don't think quick. I, I, I think Berrettini, no. Okay. I think uh, Dimitrov, after everything that's going on with – COVID and everything, no chance. Here, we, I was going to say, seen... we can go in order. You can just give me a yes or a no. Uh, go, yeah, uh, go Fen, yes or no. Yeah, I think I think he has a oh, shot. I like that. RBA. Uh, yeah, I think he has a shot. Yeah. Uh, Schwartzman. No. Oh, as a fellow Jewish tennis player, that hurts. Uh, Andre Rublev. <sighs> yeah. Ooh, that's tough. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I think he can make quarters max. I think there's a world, and we saw it earlier this year. He went like what? But he's a, he's a loose cannon, dude. The guy loses his <laughs> mind, and like I could see him like just losing his mind and then going he, down. Not saying he's a bad test, but he's unbelievable. Yeah. No, he's. he's but I think he's got to get it together for seven. Seven straight match, I think it's all Yeah, no, I think he's the male Yastremska. Like, the talent just screams off the racket, but you're also like, yeah, this person's a little bit insane. Um, but that being said, I could see him get— But he has made quarters before, right? He lost yeah, to Rafa. and fourth round last year, too, and he lost to Berrettini in a match he really should have won. Um, and so that's—yeah, I agree with you. He's got that sort of uh, know-how as well, and I do think— Yeah, but, like, the only other two guys—like I said, Gofan and, and Bautista, yes, just because— Again, they they have that experience and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like, not just experience. I guess Rublev has experience, but I think they are so calm and they're so you kind of know what you expect from mm-hmm. them. Even though they might have a bad day, I I don't know. I just feel more secure watching those guys play. Obviously, I I would rather watch Rublev play because it's fun. <laughs> But I don't mm-hmm. know. No, I I think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, could Rublev slap his way to a victory over Djokovic? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Could he also make 55 unforced errors and lose that match 2-2-2? Two, two, and two? Yeah, and so, yeah, it's tough to put, you know, any any stake in that. Uh, what about uh, Hatchinov? Yes or no? No. Uh, second week? Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Shapovalov? I don't think so. Yeah, it's tough, right? Because one match he can do it. Oh, he's, the been, he's, been, uh, he's been working on the mixtape. <laughs> it's fair. It's fair. Uh, we can leave that there. Christian Guerin, yes or no? Uh, just, I don't know. I feel like he's not, not on not a hardcore slam. I don't think he's winning first ever slam. Do you ever hard. play Guerin? Because he's a 95er, right? Yeah. No, I've never played him in an actual match. I actually was practicing with him here last two weeks ago. <laughs> Very nice guy. He hits a huge ball, but I think closest I replica in serve to Stan Wawrinka on tour. I think they serve exactly the same. Yeah, really? It's a, it's a really little thing. Like the way they bring their feet together, the little knee bend, like the racket up. Watch their service motion side by side. I mean, I think Stan's is a little, maybe a lot better, but yeah. <laughs> Two things can be true. Two things can be true. They can look alike, but yeah, I'd probably give Stan the edge as well. Well. Then with that, since we probably won't have the chance to chat again before the Open starts, you want to give me your pick for the men's and women's champions? Oh, so tough. Uh, Men's, I would either go... Dude, I'm going Djokovic for sure. If not, I don't know why. I'm really feeling Tsitsipas. Okay. Okay. I can get behind that. I don't know why. No, that's a good pick. I think he's he's just playing great, and when he gets confident, I think I he's think good. he's one of the guys with that hubris, right? Who's like, you know what? I'm a year end finals champion. I can beat Djokovic. He he thinks it's his time. Yeah, he definitely believes. Um, and I've just seen him play such good tennis. Like I remember watching him and Wawrinka play that French <laughs> Open match where I think he lost like whatever nine seven in the fifth or something <laughs> crazy. 
and I was like, dude, this is such good tennis. Like I, with him, you, I don't know. I never see him play horrendous. Mm -hmm. No, I, I agree. And even on the day he's not playing well, he finds ways. I mean, he's played three ugly matches in a row and yet he, I mean, the Opelka one aside, so I guess two really ugly matches in terms of the type of opponent, the type of tennis he's going to have to play. And it hasn't phased him. You know, he won both breakers against Isner. I'm sure that's one of the hardest things to do in tennis when back to back breakers against Isner and he did it. And you can't do that unless you're confident in your game. Yeah. yeah. And then, dude, on the women's, I have zero clue. I mean, did you see how many seeds lost yeah. first round? Is it's picking name out of the hat. Against, qual- against qualifiers? <laughs> I have no idea. Well, I'll tell you this, JC. Someone came on this podcast, and I love him to death, Brett McCormick, Sports Business Journal, and he came on and predicted Sloan Stevens. And I love Brett, but with all due respect to him, I was like, you haven't been watching that much, have you? And he was like, no, not really. Yeah, I, I don't think— So uh, you'll do better I than know. that. I didn't, I didn't like— I didn't like what I saw from from Madison the other day, but who knows? Maybe she'll show up for the big event. Um, I, I well, there's so many women that could win. I mean, Naomi was playing well. I, I I honestly don't think Serena, as much as people are like she's a goat, she really is. But I I I haven't seen great tennis. I've watched her Lexington matches. I watch all of these, and it looked like she could lose at any moment. I completely agree with you there. She was the DraftKings odds favorite. Of course, I have to throw in a DraftKings plug. Apologies about that. Don't want to get you in trouble, but she is no longer. Osaka has moved in that position. I think let Serena prove it to you. Let her make week two, and then those odds will still be there, but it's a stay away from me. I just If Serena Williams wins slam number 24 in New York, it's her most impressive slam because I agree with you. I just don't think she's played that well through these first two weeks, and that's not like I don't think it's slanderous to say that. She just hasn't, but just something to keep in mind. I wanted to see what I could get out of you. Your picks, Djokovic, Osaka, I don't think those are bad picks at all, JC. And, you know, again, I appreciate you taking the time to come on and chat with us today. I do want to ask you about one more thing, uh, and it's a relatively recent development. It does sound like the U.S. Open is not going to be playing their matches on Thursday. Uh, Naomi Osaka electing to pull out of the match in support of the Black Lives Matter protests as a result of the killing we saw in Wisconsin. Wisconsin uh, by police. Uh, obviously, uh, n- you know, we can completely understand Naomi Osaka, who's been outspoken on so many social issues. Uh, you know, she's used her platform to do so much good already. And for her to make this decision, I don't think surprises anyone. Curious, JC, what your response to this decision is to see the U.S. Open likely cancel matches uh, as a player, to see players, you know, have an outsized voice in that decision. Yeah, well, I mean, when you texted me, I, I texted you immediately. Like, I, I think what she did is is perfectly, you know, within her rights. I think it's great. I think, um, obviously, I don't think the situation is great. I think, you know, it's a tough time um, in, in society right now. But, like, I, I, I remember when I texted you, I mentioned the NBA. I think that's what we need more in tennis. We need players, you know, kind of speaking up. And, and, and running things a little more. I feel like the NBA is such a player-run organization, and that's why I think everyone always talks well about the NBA. It's because they, their opinions matter and their voices matter, and I think that that's what we need more in tennis. You know, as much as we need the top guys running it from an office or whatever, we need the players to take into account what we want the tour to envision, what beliefs we, we want, kind of what we want to represent. So, again, all the power to her. Um, and it's amazing to see what, you know, what the, what happens when you kind of don't give the, the tour a, a choice, you know, it's like, Hey, I'm not playing. And now I guess all the matches are getting canceled to, to Thursday. So, or to Friday. So I'm glad that happens. And, you know, again, I support her. Yeah, I am. I'm, I completely echo your sentiment. Now, let me ask you this. If, if J.C. Aragoni at the challenger level elects not to play a match, do you think anything happens? Do you think it has to be right now someone like a Naomi Osaka, just it has to be a player with top-tier status, top-tier recognition? Do you think had it been like, you know, Krajinovic and Conteve elect not to play the matches, they would just would have gone on with the event? Do you think this is, you know, a Naomi Osaka-related decision, or do you think this is genuinely, you know, tennis looking out for this sort of, you know, in support of this cause? Um, I don't think it has anything to do with the player. I think it has to do with the platform. 
Like if okay. I were to do it at a challenger, I don't think it would work. But if you were to see, if you were to see Krajinovic pulling out of the first round of the U.S. Open to, you know, in support of this, I think what that would cause is that would cause other players to okay. realize that's the case. So I think it's it's kind of the the stage they do it at. Like, you know, her doing it in the semis of Cincinnati, it shows that, you know, this is serious. Same with Milwaukee doing it in you know, in the NBA playoffs. Like it 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 shows that they're not messing around and that they want change and that it, it needs to happen. So I think I think if whoever would, would would do it at the US Open, I think other players would, would get behind it. Um Obviously, it helps that it's Naomi Osaka. I don't. I don't want to say it. You know, it doesn't. But um, I also wouldn't see somebody like Rajanovic doing it because, again, I think it's somebody like she's been outspoken about um, the change. She's been talking about how, um, you know, she's been pushing for change. So it would surprise me if it's somebody who hasn't said anything about it and does it. Then yes, but. Um, if someone like Coco Goff took a stand, I would be like, yeah, you know, that makes sense. She has been wanting to change, wanting change. She has been doing a ton of good things and I think players would get behind it. So again, I think it, 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 it's the platform and how they use it. Yeah. And I, to echo your sentiment, Naomi Osaka has been the forefront of criminal justice reform and promoting the changes that need to happen, police reform, all of these various causes that are obviously uh, so prominent in American discourse right now. And what we can do to stop what is, you know, this clearly, you know, devastating trend of unarmed black men being shot by police. And so I completely agree with you. It's the stake of the moment for Naomi Osaka to take a semifinal in tennis's grand and return this big stage in New York and say, no, you know, I want to use my platform for something better than that. I think it stands with the long history of the WTA dating back to Billie Jean King. And even before that, you can, you know, just all or, you know, throughout just all the changes that, you know, from Billie Jean King through Venus and Serena to now. In Naomi Osaka, in Coco Golf, we have so many strong uh, young leaders in our sport, and I think that's a really good thing for the long-term health. But, you know, again, I really appreciate you coming on, JC. Always great to get to, you know, throw some names at you, get to shoot the shit a little bit as well. Uh, for you, I, you know, my final question, do, any schedule update for you this year? Are you still a little bit in flux? Yeah, it sucks for us uh, lower-ranked players. So I uh... – I choose to not comment because you do not have enough uh, beeps to blurt out what I really think. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I have no response, or I have it, it, no. It came down to it got to uh, me running a tournament to get tennis moving again. So I really don't want to have to to make a whole nother tournament so I can actually play a match. Yeah, I complete. I think a lot of people would echo that sentiment for sure. Um, but you know, in in case you ever want to come on chat tennis, get back in it. Obviously, there's always a spot available for you on our podcast. Are you someone who are going to be glued to the TV? You're going to watch a lot of U.S. Open. Uh, I, first of all, I don't know what that invite kind of meant. I don't know if it's like you know how PE teachers they say those who can't teach teach PE. <laughs> like, are you basically saying like? Hey, since you can't you can't play tennis, come do my podcast. Like, no, that. <laughs> well, I'm not saying that, but I'm not not saying that. Um, yeah, no. I, I what I am saying is, I know our listeners always enjoy hearing your perspective because they not only are they going to be informed, but they're going to be very entertained as well. And so, you know, should you need a platform, should Catherine kick you out of the house for an hour, you have a place to come chill. All right, perfect. Yeah, but thank you as always, JC. Stay safe, stay healthy. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with JC Aragoni. Of course, it's always a pleasure to get the chance to pick JC's brain when, you know, not only does he obviously know his stuff when it comes to tennis, but one of the funnier guys you can talk to as well. So it's always a pleasure to get the chance to hang with JC. Yeah, he gave me a little bit of grief there at the end, but he knows he is always welcome to come back on this podcast should he be bored or want to talk a little bit of tennis. And there's going to be a lot of tennis for us to discuss. Now, of course, no tennis on Thursday as the USTA, WTA, ATP, 
deciding to stand in alongside of all of those such you know uh, in support of the protest following the you know killing of uh, an unarmed African American by you know police in Wisconsin and you know they're standing in solidarity with Naomi Osaka who made that decision to pull out and you know of course you look in the history of tennis is there anything even remotely similar uh, to this moment that has occurred in the past and you know that's something we explore on today's mini break podcast so be on the lookout for that podcast today if you want to hear more about Naomi Osaka's decision again to withdraw and its implications uh, withdraw excuse me to uh, not play Thursday's matches its implications moving forward what we think it means to the sport obviously such a powerful moment such a it's just so incredible to see someone so young, so talented like Naomi Osaka. The only thing I tweeted this out that's more impressive than what she can do on the court is what she does with her voice, her platform off of it. So, of course, that's something we're going to explore in further depth uh, in our mini-break podcast, which you can hear today. But, of course, if you've missed any of the play from the Western and Southern Open, you want to get caught up on all of the action before the U.S. Open starts, be sure to check out our mini-break podcast. You want to get in on the action with our friends at DraftKings. You know our GSP Ace of the Day coming out every morning. Video comes out at night, so you can get your bets in as soon as possible before those odds change. That's going to be rocking and rolling, and of course, we will have so much more preview content for all of you fans as the U.S. Open approaches. And with that, of course, it means we're keeping our super producers busy. Max Fliegner, Daniel Westhoff, as always, with a of an editing job to do, and they never complain. They never have any reservations. They always just get the job done. So shout out to the both of them. Shout out to our friends at DraftKings for their continued support. If you want to get in on the action, just go to dkng.co slash great shot. Put a little bit of money in your pocket and obviously, you know, take advantage of the fact you're the most well-informed, best educated fans in the business. Might as well double down on that fact. Only other things to say, like, rate, subscribe, review to this podcast, the mini break, cracked interviews and inside out podcast, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. You need the more immediate updates. We're at cracked rackets. You want to DM me or message me directly. I'm at great shot pod but with that being said for our wonderful guests jc aragoni our friends at DraftKings, our super producers max flicker daniel westoff and all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say folks hey great shot and we'll see you all tomorrow thanks everyone